Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Coming to you from my house in Los Angeles, it's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are comic actors who are kind of chameleonic. They have crazy range, play a million different characters, and always do an amazing job. Matt Barry is not one of those comic actors. He pretty much does the one thing, but boy, is he great at it. What is the thing that he does? I guess you could call it haughty, elegant buffoon. The kind of person who starred in an award-winning West End production of Richard III in 1988 and then blustered his way onto a police drama only to, you know, forget his lines and say mean things to somebody from craft services. I think you know roughly what I'm talking about, right? That's what Matt Berry does. He's hilarious and brilliant at it. Maybe my favorite thing he's ever done is a show called Toast of London, which he also created. Matt plays an aging buffoonish actor who makes a living doing voiceover. Just to be clear, so these will be heard on every submarine in the Royal Navy. Yeah, they're just automating and digitizing everything. You know, the commander presses a button and the recording of your voice will be heard immediately. Yeah, I'm not interested in all that. Can we just crack on? Fire the nuclear weapons. Stephen, that was good. But you think you could give it another try, this time say it in a less alarming way? Less alarming? I've just given the order to fire the nuclear weapons. I've just unleashed Armageddon. Yes, but the feeling here is that you could do it in a way which is a little less dramatic. Matt has done variations on that theme on a bunch of other shows. The IT Crowd, The Mighty Boosh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and these days on FX in What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows is a mockumentary about vampires. It's based on the super funny movie of the same name. There are four vampires in it. They all share a big house on Staten Island in New York. They suck blood from victims and mostly wear cool, spooky, fancy clothes. But they are not cool vampires. They are vain, dumb, self-sabotaging goofs. Maybe the goofiest of them all is Laszlo Cravensworth, played by Matt Barry. Before he became a vampire, Laszlo was an English nobleman. Now he lives with his wife, Nadia, also a vampire, and despite her best efforts to protect him, Laszlo loves to wear his big, stupid, cursed witch hat. (laughs) Very cursed. Let's listen. I found it. Thoughts. Looks like it's alive. Good eye. It's 100% witch skin. Simon was always very jealous of this hat. I can't wait to see his face when I walk in. Please don't wear that hat. Too stylish? No, it's a big bloody stupid hat with a big bloody stupid curse on it. And every time you wear it, something bloody stupid terrible happens. Nonsense. Gizmo likes it, don't you? It's Guillermo. Lazo's stupid hat. It's got a bloody huge curse on it. I have tried to throw it out many times, but it keeps crawling back, literally. I acquired this hat while draining the blood of a Bavarian Hexenbrenner or witch burner. He must have noticed me eyeing it, because in his dying breath, he said, Take my hat. It's cool. Yes, it is cool, I thought. Free hat. Even better. Matt Berry, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. It's my honor to be on your show. That's probably overstating the case, but I appreciate it nonetheless. No, I mean it genuinely. 
how did you come to be a uh, an American television vampire? I was doing a film with Jermaine Clement and halfway through the film, he leant across and said, I think I'm going to do a TV version of the vampire film that I did. Do you want to do it? So I said, yes. And <laughs> it was as quick and as simple as that. I mean, it's not a particularly great anecdote and it's a very short one but that's exactly what happened had you seen the movie the the movie has a different cast and but is similarly hilarious i think probably one of the one of the 10 or so funniest movies of the last decade a really funny movie all right okay i can't remember whether i'd seen it when he asked or just after i i i mean i obviously have seen it now but i can't remember whether i had then what did you think of the prospect of this? It's a property with a very particular tone. It's a very specific sort of thing. I didn't think about it like that. I, because Jermaine was involved and Taika was involved, then I knew that it would be funny, and that's all that I was interested in. Tone and things like that didn't even cross my mind. It was more about whether it was going to be funny. That's all I'm really interested in, to be honest. Why just is it going to be funny? Well, because... Because it's going to hang around and it's a really simple way, you know, of kind of choosing what you want to do. And it was a safe bet for me, you know, that it was going to be a funny show and a funny script in itself when the pilot came. So I just uh, I just sort of said yes. I don't really get the impression that you got into a career in comedy because you had always intended to be a comedian or even a no comic I, actor yeah that would be true no i had no plan to do either of those things i'd never really thought about either i mean i kind of drifted into this and i had a lot of fun and i've been you know, i've been very lucky in the things that i've done you know and the people that i've worked with but it was there was no kind of plan so to speak of and I didn't kind of look to anybody and think, you know, because it wasn't anything that I was particularly looking at beforehand. Um, but, you know, that can't be confused with me not being internally grateful because the things that it's bought me are invaluable. I've been very, very lucky. You went to college at art school. I did. Did you, did you intend to be a fine artist? Um, it was pretty clear that unless you did portraits of uh of princes and uh incredibly rich people then there wasn't a lot of money to be had unless you were one of the very few that sort of became well known and paid for the art that you made in your own right but that was a hell of a gamble so i mean i would have been just as kind of content if things would have worked out that way but um it seemed too much of a gamble back then, you know, so I, um, plus I was interested in other things such as music and stuff. So I kind of pursued that also. What were you doing in school? Were you painting? Yeah. Yeah. I was using uh, acrylic paint. I was doing mostly um, figurative work. I mean, acrylic paint because it was the cheapest and it sort of dried very quickly. That's very boring to people that have no interest in paint, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of how I learn. I didn't learn with oil. I learned with cheap plastic paint. 
what was the first comedy gig you got? Um, Garth Moringa's Dark Place in 2003. Uh, it was a show on Channel 4. And it's, people always don't believe it, but I literally hadn't done anything before I did that. And that was straight onto the TV. Um, I hadn't done any kind of comedy as such. And I just lucked out and got a part on that. And then <laughs> that led to the IT crowd, which led to other stuff, uh, which eventually led to what we do in the shadows. How did the folks who made that show yeah. even know, know who the hell I know was? Know to cast you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what it was, I was there was a show called The Mighty Boosh, and I knew one of the fellas in that, and um, he let me do some some songs before they came on and did their thing. And I did this. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that what they were doing was comedy. So I thought, well, you know, I better make these songs kind of funny in some way. So I did it under the guise of a serial killer because I didn't know what else to do. Like, so I did it and it was like a confessional thing. So it was a singer songwriter, but suppose he was a serial killer. So it was me basically <laughs> telling the audience where the bodies were and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it was honestly because I, I wasn't sure what else to do. And then, um, that led to Matt and Richard, who wrote Dark Place, coming to see the Boosh, and then they obviously noticed me beforehand, and that's how it all kicked off. Pure luck. I like the idea that you were 22 or something. Uh, you hadn't really done comedy. You, you I hadn't done any comedy. You got a gig opening for what was basically a comedy act, a musical comedy act, but a comedy act. Yeah. And you thought, well, I got to do something funny. And you had maybe like one page in your notebook that had funny <laughs> written at the top. And then underneath that was serial killer. You're giving me too much credit. There would have been no notebook. It would have been done in my head hours beforehand. It would have, yeah, there would have been hardly any kind of preparation. It would have just been purely winging it just to, you know, see what happened. Um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is a wonderful show. It is a parody of low budget sort of horror thriller stuff from the 1980s very aesthetically specific yeah and it's hosted by and stars a character who is a little bit like if the writer dean kuntz uh was also an actor who starred in his own television show that he created like a lower rent uh uh stephen king kind of exactly figure. yeah and uh, I'm going to play a scene, uh, a scene from the show, um, which you know you'll you'll so be you able know to the hear. Show, then. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I've seen I've seen it. Yeah, I've watched it. It's a great show. I watched it way back then. Okay. Um, I, I stole it from the internet. <laughs> um, and you'll be able to hear a little bit of the audio quality of the sort of 1980s VHSE effects that we see, but you won't be able to see them, and they're they're pretty extraordinary and mind bending. So in this scene, a woman named Dr. Liz Asher has just arrived to apply for a job at the hospital, and then about halfway through her interview, she's approached by my guest Matt Barry playing Dr. Lucian Sanchez. 
Hi, I've come to apply for the doctor's job. I can assure you my credentials are top-notch. I've just graduated from Harvard College, Yale. I aced every semester and I got an A. Well, that sounds excellent. Our last doctor only just recently died in horrific circumstances. Can you start immediately? Sure. Do I have time to go to the toilet? Not really. I've already paged Dr. Sanchez, who should be here any minute now. I'm Dr. Sanchez. You're a woman. Yes, I hope that's not a problem. Not at all. There's plenty of scared on the wall. This is the 20th century after all, though some don't like to admit it. Welcome to Dark Place, Liz. I mean, it feels like, Matt, you fell right into <laughs> this immediately into a, a lane that you have mined in various directions with various shadings ever since, which is like actorly acting, but maybe slightly wrong. Were you doing that on purpose? Like, were you just excited to watch, you know, behind the scenes at the Royal Shakespeare Company 1977? Well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, where it all comes from is... I was taken to see a lot of rep theatre because there was a small rep theatre in Bedfordshire where, I, where I'm from in the UK. So we would go and see things. And I don't think my mum and dad were particularly interested, but, you know, they thought that I might be. So, you know, they sort of, te- you know, they kind of took me along. Anyway, the, um, what struck me that, about this was how kind of artificial it all was. Like the... Um, the actors would be literally inches away from one another, yet talk incredibly loudly. And it always just made me laugh. I mean, that wasn't the effect, you know, that they were going for. You know, they were going for high drama and, you know, seriousness. But it just used to make me with laughter because they would they would be so earnest and talk at such volume while being inches away from one another. And... I think that was one of the main inspirations with a lot of these things. And always so incredibly pompous. That always made me laugh. And um, <laughs> that was a big inspiration. I kind of didn't know that at the time because I didn't give it any thought. But I think that's where it came from because I always found it funny. I used to talk to my dad and my mum about it on the way home, saying the way these blokes shout at each other, it's hilarious. <laughs> so I think that's... I think that's where it comes from. I mean, it really feels like something that is in some ways culturally specific to the UK. Maybe. Like by the, t- by the time it was the mid 80s when you were a kid and going to things with your parents or the late 80s. Yeah. Acting in the United States mostly had had 20 years of like highly enforced hyper naturalism. Yeah. You know, like this idea that everybody is in Easy Rider or whatever. No, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Elliot Gould. Exactly. And God God bless Elliot Gould, one of the best. No, but Um, it's a style. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, well, the thing is, the the UK actors would have taken that stuff on board and would have been interested in it. You know, they would have been interested in Dustin Hoffman and his style of acting. But they were trained, and they were trained at places like RADA. So even though they wanted to appear naturalistic like those actors that you know that we've just mentioned they wouldn't come across that way because of the training so what you'd get is uh do you fancy a drink do you know what i mean so it'd be something that would be said kind of you know kind of casually do you want a drink is what you know you would say uh you fancy a drink whereas it would be do you fancy a drink do you see what i'm saying so it would be the 
ideas would be the same, yet there'd be a different style Im- implied. Applied. <laughs> Sorry. It's late in the day. I, I've been thinking about it a lot because I have two friends who decided for some reason to do a, a recap podcast of the miniseries I, Claudius. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, was made in the mid-70s. Yeah. And in stars, one studio. Yeah, and stars like every every brilliant genius actor available in the UK at the time, you know, uh Brian Brian Blessed and Patrick Stewart and Derek Jacobi, like every single person ever yeah. uh, is in this show. They're all shooting, as you said, in in one studio in cardboard sets, basically. Yeah, well, it's black. And, it's black background. It's the old-fashioned way of doing sort of Shakespeare on the TV. You just have black drapes, and that's it, and some lights. It's an amazing thing. Like part of the reason they wanted to do this show is because I Claudius, the original miniseries, is such a wonderful work of art. Yeah. But it's also might as well be from space <laughs> uh, for, for all the recognizability to like contemporary prestige film and television. No, you I know. Yeah. Yeah, and like those people are those people are still alive, and they're all still brilliant artists. I mean, I, I you wouldn't you wouldn't find me saying an ill word about any of them. We know, but that's that's but that's all that they had to work with. I mean, if you would look at the, you know, if you look at the version of Pride and Prejudice from the mid nineteen seventies, it also looks like that. Do you know what I mean? Like TV drama was set under very bright. Um, television studio lights and was filmed that way so it all has that kind of vibe you know it's very rare that they would go on location and use film you know they would use it would everything would have that kind of horrible sport sort of video effect because that's all you know that we really had so it's not just i claudius i mean you pick any kind of drama from the 1970s up until the end of the 80s it all looks like that in the uk uh, let's hear a, a little bit of my guest, Matt Barry, on The Mighty Boosh, which was a slightly surreal, often musical comedy show. Um, so when, that, what's the date of that? About 2004 or something? 2000? Yeah, 2004. Yeah. God, it's a long while ago. It's all. It was all set in a zoo and uh, or in a zoo in various mystical worlds that they left the zoo f- to. And um, uh, my guest, Matt Berry's character was named Dixon Bainbridge uh, and was the owner. And uh, in this scene that we're about to hear, there are animals on the loose. Um, and uh, Dixon is, is challenging uh, Julian Barrett's character, uh, Howard Moon, to a fight. Yeah? You want a piece of me? A piece of you, Moon? You haven't got it to give. The only reason I'm not coming at you now is because Vince here is a delicate flower. Doesn't like violence. Get him, Howard! And I've got flu. I had flu. Not quite 100% yet. Feeling a bit run down. But if it wasn't for that, I'd be on you like a powerful moss. You're pathetic, Moon. Yeah? Yeah. Well, why don't you step on in whenever you're ready? Right now. Uh, now? Right now! What do you mean? I mean, we could... Right now. now? Now? You and I, right now! If you want to go now... Let's go. We can go now. Come on! Whenever you're ready. Mano a mano! I, mean, I can pencil you in later. Mm. Right now! Next Tuesday's fine. Mm, stop talking! Today? Right now! This morning? Oh, yes! In this actual place here? Now! So your show 
Toast of London. Yeah. Of which there are three series that I, I think are still on Netflix here in the United States. In fact, I just watched one on Netflix. So they yeah. still are on Netflix here in the United States. Yeah. This is a show that I really love. In it, you play an actor of the sort that we've described, but the unsuccessful version, not entirely yeah. unsuccessful, <laughs> you know, yeah. able to eat and pay rent, but a down market version yeah. of Derek Jacobi or whatever. Exactly. Um, it, was, this, was this a character that you had been thinking about for a long time before you created the not, show? Not that long. I mean... I'll tell you where it all came from. So as a result of doing the IT crowd, I was then asked to do a lot of voiceovers for British adverts and things. And as a result of doing that, sometimes you would be paired with another actor. And um, so I got to work with some, you know, very seasoned, very well-respected actors. And the inspiration came from those jobs. So I would be there and I was very new to all this you know so I kept my mouth shut apart from when I had to do the job for the most of the time without you know that I was doing those back then and I would just watch and I would watch the other sort of season actor lose his temper or um or just you know or just get up and walk out you know because he'd had enough sort of halfway through and it was fascinating and that's where Toast came from it came from some of these blokes that I was doing these jobs with and I'm I'm not going to tell you who they were, who would go, um, right, so what is it we're doing? Is it shampoo or something? Right, and how long is this going to take? And the poor guy would be going, well, uh, there isn't much here, so, you know, it's like a couple of pages. Right, can we just get on with it? Hi, sorry, what's your name again? And I, uh, Sorry, my name's Matt. Hi, Matt. Um, yeah, can we just get on with it, please? You know, then all this would happen. And then um, <laughs> something like he would get a word wrong, you know, or the guy that was sort of running the show wouldn't be happy with the way that he pronounced something. So say, look, excuse me, could we just do this word again? I think it's pronounced this way. And then the actor would go nuts and would, um, <laughs> what are you telling me how to say, you know, I mean, you've heard these things, you know, cause there's some of them on YouTube of actors blowing their tops at stuff. And it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of like of the, the famous clip of Orson Welles reading wine copy. But that's exactly what it's like. That was exactly what it was like in these things. I mean, it didn't happen that often, but when it happened, I was mesmerized because this was just gold. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't have to do anything. You know, you didn't have to... I mean, like, it got to the point where I was doing a lot of these things and... Um, an actor would sort of mention another actor's name and then that would be my way in. And then I'd say, oh, I saw him on something the other day. I thought he was very good. And by saying I thought this other actor was very good to this season actor would drive him nuts. And you go, oh, you think he's good? He's <laughs> Don't give me that. And then you get this <laughs> massive rant just because all I'd said was I thought this guy was pretty good. So, and it was a... a trick then that i used on the other actors you know that i'd work with just to get that sort of reaction so to answer your question in a really long-winded way that's where toast came from even more with the great matt barry still to come what's his favorite part about playing a vampire does matt think it's weird that i want to be friends with the vampire he plays the answer is when we return it's bullseye for maximumfun.org and npr Support for this podcast comes from HelloFresh. 
Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with the meal kit delivery service, HelloFresh. Make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. There's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes. Listeners can go to HelloFresh.com slash Bullseye80 and use code Bullseye80 to get $80 off, including free shipping on the first box. Additional restrictions apply. Visit HelloFresh.com. Whenever you face a choice, it helps to think like an economist. And this week on Planet Money Summer School, we'll start off our course in economics with a workout for your brain. How to decide what something truly costs. Listen now to Planet Money from NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the actor Matt Barry. You've seen him on the IT crowd, The Mighty Boosh, and one of my favorite shows, Toast of London. He's currently starring in What We Do in the Shadows. It's a sitcom about vampires who live on Staten Island. Let's get back into our interview. I'm going to play a clip from Toast of London with my guest, Matt Barry. And there's a, basically a, a, a VO scene in pretty much every episode, a scene where he's in the studio with uh, his not beloved engineer, Clem Fandango, uh, who's maybe also directing, producing these voiceovers. And in this one, he's recording a script that the whole script is just the word yes. Uh, hey, Stephen, that was really good. Um, feeling is here that you could be a bit more positive. More positive? Yeah. You know, really go for it. You want me to go for it? Yeah. All right. Yes! Very, very good. Um, Let's just try without the script. Mind just loosen you up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, what is it, one word? You don't really need it, do you? I probably don't need the scripts. It's just a word. Yeah. Okay, let's do it again. Yes! Is that it? Yes. Right. Hi, Stephen. Yes. This is Clem Fandango. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Honestly, this is going so great, but I just think there was a little loss of energy in that last take. Maybe try one more. Okay, ready to go? Yeah. What? Yes. There's a wonderful episode in the third season of Toast of London where John Hamm comes to visit and your character, Stephen Toast, sort of falls in love with John Hamm, as anyone who, who's seen John Hamm in <laughs> real life has. Um, he's extraordinarily... I've seen him like around town a few times and every time he just takes your breath away. You know, He's a very nice man from he's lovely, my yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never never heard someone say an ill word about him as a guy. No, but just, no. He's a beautiful fella. He's gorgeous. And he also has some quality. Although in this episode... No, I think he's a really character... nice guy. And the other thing is he's he's really funny. And the other thing, which is the most impressive thing, is his knowledge of comedy. He knows people that I've worked... I mean, he knew stuff that I'd done that I'd forgotten. He he knew everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, there isn't a sitcom that probably hasn't been made that he hasn't seen or could tell you the history of. He has an incredible knowledge of US and UK comedy. Yeah, a real a real comedy lover. And so in this in this episode, 
the one plot is your your character Stephen Toast falling in love with John Hamm. Yeah. The other is your father, who's played by Brian Blessed, <laughs> uh, the the great actor, dying and and trying to determine who's going to get his inheritance. Yeah, I remember that day. You have a brother who's like a fancy guy. <laughs> Adrian Lucas. Yeah, very very posh. Yeah. I think maybe he has a... Does he have a wooden hand? Is that, <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but like, a very sort of, like, he's always wearing, like, fox hunting clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, uh, and, and he's at the father's bedside at the top floor of an enormous castle. Yeah. Uh, the father is about to reveal uh, who will receive his inheritance, and uh, your character is rushing up the stairs <laughs> that's an amazing scene so brian blessed is that guy like brian blessed is an extraordinarily accomplished actor he's i, I guess like a knight or whatever he's in i claudius he has slash he's the oldest oldest person ever to go to the north pole yeah um on foot uh, he's like a he's just is that guy uh yeah. in many extraordinary ways I mean, he's also like, I guess he's probably in his mid-70s or something now. He's probably older. What was it like to have that guy on set while you're doing this thing that you've dedicated four (laughs) years to like basically being a joke about that guy? Well, no, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not taking the out of it. It's all done with love. I, I find those kind of performances and those kind of actors so endearing and so funny. You know, it's just love. It isn't, there's no kind of sort of negativity about him you know i mean i love brian blessed you know he was in flash gordon but on that day he's wonderful i mean he's wonderful in everything everything yeah, he is. he's just he's yeah. he's it's like werner herzog like i've interviewed werner herzog a couple times yeah. and obviously werner herzog is hilarious i mean there's could be nothing funnier than werner herzog and the like albino alligator at the end of the cave painting documentary or no he is so you know, funny yeah. but he's a brilliant genius like he also backs it up a hundred percent and that's one of the things that makes it so great is that if he couldn't deliver it would be sad you know but he can deliver it's great and it's brilliant you know what i wonder when i watch toast of london is you have such a specific comic sensibility that you've developed over over you know the many years of your career you know 20 years almost 20 years yeah Hmm. and on that show are many other characters and actors and everyone is able to match the tone of the comedy yeah there is never anyone who feels like they are visiting from another universe yeah and i wonder if that is a job that comes from direction from no casting yeah i think it's if you if you people the show with straight actors who are who are playing those scenes truthfully then you'll get that atmosphere that you're talking about now if you get a bunch of comedians to do it then they'll all they'll all raise their game and as a result raise their kind of performances and you'll just get this uh contest almost you know of uh how outrageous and how loud I can be. But if it's straight actors who are believing that this situation is completely real, 
you know that's kind of going on around them that's that's how it works i think that's why it's more sort of believable i think i once wrote on this show a radio essay recommending toast of london as i used to do every week i I would recommend some piece of culture that's very kind of you thank you it, I, I certainly meant it, but the premise of this recommendation was really, this is not a show for everyone. <laughs> um, like, I, I really front-loaded it with, so this th- is not a show for everyone content. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, like, Matt, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I just was like, I just want everybody to know it might work for you. It might not. It really works for me. It's really wonderful. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's not cheers. No, um, no. And five days after I recorded that, as it aired on a station uh, in the Midwest, I got this email from someone who had, I guess, looked up my email address. A guy who taught at Southern Illinois University in the film department, you know, show business adjacent. And he wrote, the subject line was Toast of London. And the email was, just watch this show based on your recommendation. (laughs) Forced myself to make it all the way through the episode because I thought it would get better. <laughs> it didn't. No. Now, anything you recommend is suspect. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry I ruined your credibility. <laughs> it really felt like a threat at the end there. <laughs> like, I, you've, no, you've but really that's comforting. That's comforting because if you do something, you know, if he'd have said, yeah, I thought it was all right, that's the worst. <laughs> I'd hate that, you know what I mean? The fact that he was disgusted by it, you know, and he thought you were an idiot for recommending it, that's far more satisfying to me. Right. I know at some point there was talk of there being more Toast of London. Yeah. Uh, how realistic is that now? No, that is going to happen, yeah. I can tell you that it is. It's being written now. I tell you, I've done some, as a kind of warm-up, to writing it i've done some audio sort of episodes on t- twitter i've just put them on to youtube so there's six free five minute sort of toast warm-up audio episodes just to get back into it do you know what i mean you know just to kind of get all the rhythms going again you know and to see whether we could still do it and stuff um i had great fun doing those you know, they won't be for everybody, you know, and whether you get through the whole thing is <laughs> is your business. <laughs> One of the things about your show, What We Do in Shadows, which is in its second season now on FX and is, is really wonderful, is, you know, it is a, a mockumentary that plays on the idea that vampires, while they are vampire-y, also live in the world and i think these particular vampires are in long island if i remember correctly staten island staten island thank you that vampires while they are vampire also live in the world these vampires live in staten island yeah and like have to interact with the regular world and maybe aren't that good at it because they're vampires yeah it's not like a big goofy show it, it's pretty close to what a documentary would be like if it were really about vampires. But you as a performer have to kind of make a choice of how vampire-y to be. 
by which I mean like how much you have to do enact the the like cultural associations of vampires you know like how often you want to sweep your cape around or like whether you're gonna do a dracula voice those kinds of things (laughs) was there a discussion uh, as the show was kicking off about how much you should pursue vampire stuff and how much you should act like a regular person well I mean, I can't speak for anyone else who's in the show. I mean, I can only speak for myself. Not, no, I didn't have any of those conversations. The only time that um, that vampire sort of manifesto is reminded to you is, I mean, because Jermaine has all this knowledge. She's obsessed with vampires, which is, which is good, you know, because that's, you know, that's how the whole thing shaped but so for instance if um something happens and as a result of that because a lot of it's improvised as you probably know you know um i said jesus christ what's this then do you remember go matt matt you can't you can't uh they don't swear because if they swear it causes them pain it like burns their tongue oh sorry yeah okay you know <laughs> so that's that's the only time you know where the vampire kind of rules and regulations come into the performance. Um, I try and treat the thing, you know, again, like I said with Toast, you know, as if I'm really in that house and those things are kind of are kind of happening. Not a um, bigger version, you know, or a contrived version of someone who's in a sitcom where there's kind of crazy things that are happening to them. That's how I approach it, I think. I only recently learned that Count Von Count, the Count from Sesame Street, uh, the vampire character from Sesame Street who's always counting things, right. is based on the idea that that vampires have to count everything. And so one way to get away from a vampire is to throw a bag of rice on the ground so they have to count all of the grains of rice. That sounds like bull****. <laughs> You I think haven't. Jim Henson was just messing with us? Yeah, that's. There's no way that's <laughs> that's part of it. <laughs> was it in the script of what we do in Shadows that when your character transmogrifies into a bat, he yells "bat"? Do you know? I can't remember. You'd have to ask Jermaine, and then Jermaine would say, "You'd have to ask Matt," because I don't remember <laughs> what happened there to be honest with you. So that would have happened in the pilot in Los Angeles where we filmed it. But I cannot, I cannot remember. Um, yeah, it's I don't true. know. Yeah. I mean, it, it might have been you just sort of offering a, a way to, to slate the beginning of the FX shot or whatever. I think it would have been. I think, I mean, it could have easily been. It would have just been a way of me getting out of the scene is what it would have been. Um Having said what I'd said, you know, and giving the space to other people, I think that's what it would have come from. And that would have been me sort of signalling that I'm out. Um, but again, you'd, you'd have to ask Jermaine, but I know what Jermaine would say. He'd go, well, you better ask Matt. <laughs> well, what is the greatest pleasure of portraying a vampire on screen? It's that set. It's the, the house set. I haven't seen many of the episodes, so I I don't know, you know, how it 
comes across particularly on the but it's the best set that I've ever that I've ever seen you know let alone worked on the detail is incredible and when you sit down in one of those rooms they're 360 they're not like a set where there's like a missing wall for the audience they're all sort of 360 things and during sort of breaks you go and sit in one of those and you're in a turn of the century sort of drawing room and it can freak you out you know it can start to make you anxious and you know kind of look behind you um that's the greatest gift because if it feels totally authentic you know in a 360 experience then a lot of the job is done. Do you know what I mean? So if you feel like you're in, you know, you're in amongst it and everywhere you look, it's basically covered. There's a stairs, you know, that go up there. Well, if you go up there, you know, there's some bedrooms that go off there. And that's the way that it is. And the fact that it's the detail of the set is so, so meticulous and so beautifully done. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I feel very grateful for because it just makes the tomfoolery that i do just much easier is it weird that i want to be friends with these vampires is that just yeah it's the magic of situation <laughs> comedies <laughs> they're just such sweeties <laughs> For, they? well, you I know, know considering they they drink blood yeah they're pretty despicable eternal life <laughs> yeah they're pretty despicable you know the the kind of more you learn about them all they've got terrible backstories so yeah i don't think you'd want to be in that house for you know one second well matt barry i'm so grateful to you for taking this time to talk with me i well i'm grateful to so you happy to finally finally get you on the show i i am such an admirer of your work for, for such a long time well you're uh, too I, kind I, love, I well i mean it i mean it matt thank you again thank you very much matt barry He's the best. Both seasons of What We Do in the Shadows are streaming now on Hulu. If you haven't watched that show, it is absolutely delightful. I also am a huge fan of his even stranger British television show, Toast of London, which is on Netflix. Not for everyone. I'll be the first to say it. But man, is it funny. Both of those shows are just a joy. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of myself and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where, at least here at my house, a multi-day project is underway to create a cake with a Sharknado theme. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Dan was kind enough to bring me some uh, pastrami and corned beef from Langer's Delicatessen. I was very grateful for that. Thank you, Dan. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. Just the other day, someone on Twitter said, Hey, Jesse, have you listened to The Go Team's albums? They're really great. Yes, I've been saying that on this show. The Go Team have several really great albums that you should totally check out. You can also keep up with our show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.